I personally have always been a massive fan of Humble Pie. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark left into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. But James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Yeah, I listened back um, to the beginning of last week's podcast, and it is mostly just us rant, or at the end of last week's podcast, rather, it's just us ranting about how much we don't like Barcelona <laughs> and how rubbish it was going to be. So, literally, uh, maybe that's the trick to getting a, a good race. Hmm. Just talk it into greatness. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of F1 in Review, the episode and the hour where we look back at round 6 of the 2022 Formula 1 season, the Spanish Grand Prix. I'm Tom Claiborne and I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. You can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter as well as F1 in Review, we have our own account there. And I'd like to start off this episode by apologising on behalf of F1 in Review. Last episode we said the Spanish Grand Prix would be trash. It was not. It was rather exciting. It was more than any of us could really gamble for or hope for. And in that regard, you know, seeing a 1-2 for Red Bull was very impressive. Once again, we start off by talking about Red Bull versus Ferrari, the top of the grid. And we saw Ferrari have a bit of Red Bull medicine, have a bit of a reliability issue, shall we say. It started off so well for Leclerc on Saturday, a comfortable P1 for him. It was all going so well until about lap 27 I'd say so, and then, yep, a loss of power, and from then on out, it was really inevitable, in my view, that Red Bull would secure that 1-2, with, of course, Max Verstappen being first, and Perez being second, don't forget that, with Carlos Sainz being way down in P6 after a average qualifying and a spin at Turn 4, not even George Russell in the improved Mercedes could stop the power of Red Bull powertrain there. And in regards to Red Bull, they did, of course, have their own reliability issues of sorts. Uh, Verstappen's DRS didn't open on many occasions, and we heard quite clearly how angry he was about that. And it shows, in my view, how integral DRS is to the sport. There's often been a discussion of, should it be dumped like Kerr's boost, for example? Is it really needed? But we saw, didn't we, that while Mercedes have improved in terms of their car, without DRS, Verstappen was really struggling there. But it wasn't all happy campers in the Red Bull garage either. Perez was, of course, at one point, lap 47, if I'm not mistaken, in P1. Verstappen, the golden boy, in P2. And the conversation along the garage to Perez went along the lines of this. If Max is quicker, we let him past. Perez responds, that's very unfair, but okay. Now, is there trouble in paradise brewing here at Pe- uh, in uh, Red Bull? Because many a time Perez has said, I want to fight for the title. I'm not here to be a P2 uh, driver or a second driver, should I say, for Red Bull. I'm only going to support Max when it's mathematically impossible for me to win, which, of course, last season it very much was. What do we make of that? Is that sort of hot air coming out from Perez? Or is there real trouble brewing again, a similar dynamic to Vettel and uh, Mark Webber of many a year past? What do you make of it? lot to unpack there isn't there yes let's start off with the apology and um commitment to eating humble pie (laughs) and well it's not really our fault is it barcelona (laughs) is traditionally a boring track maybe this is a result of the new regulations maybe this is a result of lots of very good drivers on pretty equal talent in you know cars that sort of equal each other in in different ways Or maybe it's just because Kevin Magnussen punted uh, (laughs) Hamilton um, sort of off the track, if you like, and uh, well, out of the uh, top 10 and and sort of triggered a whole load of things. Um, And I suppose Ferrari's engine in Leclerc giving up on him that that led to this weird thing. There was lots of things going on. Um, 
but it wasn't necessarily the track, was it? And when we think about it, it was a combination of cars not working, sort of minor accidents here, causing people to sort of scramble around and try and get back onto the you know, the track and get up the up the field. We had Hamilton trying to give up for some reason, which didn't sound mm. like him. We had Carlos Sainz going into the gravel, which, as it turns out, is quite like him at the moment. We had Kevin Magnussen hitting Hamilton and Hamilton having to get back through the track uh, and, and get through the pack, rather. Um, spot on, by the way, with my prediction last week. In fairness, it wasn't how I thought it was going to be, but I did say that I thought Hamilton was going to do really well. And in my books, going from basically last uh, to that, well, fifth place really because you know he did have that problem at the end is really good um but let's let's focus a second around that red bull um one two do you think it was fair that perez was told to let max through but when perez was on the faster tires chasing down um a a limping max verstappen with his car with with the drs not working and leclerc do you think it was fair that that red bull didn't say to max right Time to get pe- let Perez through, mate. We know it's not fair, but we also know Max is the team leader. And we know that he has the ascendancy in that team. We know that Perez, whilst he can dream of a time where he is not inferior within, within the team, he knows that's the reality, unfortunately. Um, and whilst it's sad that that's the situation, it just is a situation. It's, it's not as explicit as at Mercedes where... They always used to be like, oh, Hamilton and Bottas. Then they're not. Uh, there's no number one, number two. Um, mm. There was clearly, but it was never really put out there in public. Whilst at Red Bull, there's a bit. The dynamic is a bit like the old Ferrari days, where Michael Schumacher was clearly number one, and Rubens Barrichello was clearly number two. Um, and they were a bit more explicit about that fact, about the explicit that one driver was superior to the other. I think it was a shame for Perez though, because the opportunity fell into his hands. It was Verstappen who well, made the mistake or had a wind-induced spin uh, up at turn four. And Leclerc retired. Perez was in a good position. He got past Russell after Russell gamely defended uh, the leading position. And from there, you thought, right, Perez is race to lose. But at the end of the day, we all knew, didn't we, that if Verstappen was was quicker or coming up behind him, they would let him through. I think the... The key thing, and I can see partially why they've done this, in that if Perez stays ahead of Verstappen, Red Bull do win, uh, not wins, <laughs> it's very early for that, they get lead the Constructors' Championship, but if Perez lets Verstappen through, then Max also takes the lead in the Drivers' Championship, and maybe that's like a something they're looking at like a psych- like a, from a psychological point of view, thinking, you know, we want to have the lead in both championships to really strike a blow at Ferrari. But yeah, it was a shame. It was a shame that that's how it transpired. But I think we kind of felt it was inevitable, to be honest. Yeah, I have to agree there. And I think it was the perfect opportunity, really, for Red Bull to let their two drivers fight and to show that while Verstappen, of course, is the golden boy, he's a world champion, and he signed that mega contract, that they have respect for Perez and don't see him as, you know, clearly just the number two um, expert wingman, if you will. Because, yes, Mercedes have improved, but as we saw when Verstappen's DRS was actually open and functioning, they're clearly better than them, and uh, Sainz was way down in, what, P5, P6, he was nowhere near them, and realistically, he was the only one who had the tools to go and fight them, so I get why they've done it, of course, they want Verstappen to win the championship, that's quite clear, and they want to go and win the constructors as well, and they don't want to go and upset the apple cart, and... I suppose, jeopardise or make Verstappen question whether he truly is number one, but purely for a sort of happy dynamic of the team and to show, you know, that it's, as I say, not completely in a sort of P1, P2 situation in terms of hierarchy. They should have done that because I doubt they'll ever get a chance. I say ever, but it's unlikely they'll get a chance to do that again, to see Leclerc failing in terms of um, power loss and to see signs way down there and to see Mercedes being such a third tier car because as we've seen in this race in particular Mercedes are in the ascendancy so now if you're Red Bull and you're really thinking okay we want to go and show that Perez is an integral part of the team and not just a subservient to Max 
it's going to be very difficult for them to go and have that situation again because now you've got, what, three, four cars that can mm. challenge you on your day. So I think in a sort of team dynamic, public relations aspect, they missed a trick there. But then again, it's a one-two. Verstappen's leading against Leclerc now by six points and they're leading the constructors. You can't really say they played a duff hand. I just think it's a shame because... To, to some extent, I think Red Bull were willing to sacrifice uh, an alternative timeline of, of excellent points in order to preserve the face of, of Max Verstappen world champion because he was unable to get past George Russell without that DRS, which yet again, as, as you say, shows why we need DRS. Let's not forget that we had that trial run, if you'd like, of what well, uh, it's like without DRS in Imola. And it wasn't particularly fun. No one can get past anyone. And we had Perez you know, on, on a different strategy, on a faster strategy at the time because he knew new tyres with a working DRS. And he's probably thinking, well, come on, this is my opportunity. You can't, you can't sandbag my performance just because of someone else's reliability issues. At least that's what I would be thinking, right? That's like... That's like Magnussen hitting Hamilton, Hamilton going off uh, or, or going to the back, and then Mercedes saying to Russell, "Oh, by the way, mate, I know, I know you're in, I know you're in the third, but go on, let him through, let him through." You know, we would all be saying, "What were you doing?" And I thought that as, as well. You know, we are still early in the season. <laughs> Max had enough points to overtake Charles Leclerc, or very nearly enough points to take, overtake Charles Leclerc. Actually, if he if he got second. Um, so I, I guess Angus, you're right. I guess Red Bull really, really wanted that 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 double, um, that double overtake of Ferrari in terms of the constructors and the the drivers' championships. But it does it does make us wonder really about whether or not it's right that we have these team orders so strictly within in the racing, um, because it kind of it does ruin it just a little bit, um, and. You know, I don't think any of us are saying that we should go back to a, a system with, where there's radio silence. Um, Bernie Eggleston tried to introduce that, right? Uh, if you, I don't know if you remember that era, um, sort of 2014, 2013 sort of time when they were cutting down on how much the teams could influence the drivers in terms of their, their racing and, and the way they interacted with the cars. Um, and, and we sort of all decided that that wasn't the way to go. But certainly, I, I think at this point in the season, it is a little bit early, is it not, to be forcing the drivers to to pick a, a, a you know a, a first and second um, driver, and I think that's a little bit of shame. So I'm not surprised Tom Perez said, you know, this is a little bit unfair. But what do we think about the the reliability problems for the red for Red Bull at the moment? You know, is it is it going to be the case of their their whole season now is is kind of going to be played by this overarching threat of a failure to finish because of the you know engineering um, that's currently going into the car to make save weight and and get more performance out? Um, what do we think? It's an interesting one again, and you know what? It's made it look less worse by the fact that Ferrari have had an issue of their own. Yeah, it's the first time that Ferrari showed a. There's a chink in their armour in terms of reliability. Because so far their retirements have been instant, incident-induced. Think of Carlos Sainz's DNF so far this season. And also Charles Leclerc's problems in Imola were down to him spinning out of the race there. Or spinning into the barrier and carrying on after that. But having a reliability issue, after all the issues which Red Bull have had, and then having another couple of ones this weekend with Verstappen's power loss, on the final flying lap and qualifying, as well as his DRS problems, which as we as we just, uh, as we mentioned, he's been getting, I think irate is the word. Uh, that's how he felt about it. But I think Red Bull's problems now, because they got a one-two, and because Ferrari had a DNF of their own, they kind of it almost you put it on the back burner because it hasn't cost them anything. They got full forty-four points, one-two and a fastest lap, so until it comes around again and causes an issue, then it's not really going to be talked about, I would say. But obviously, we, as we know, there's a bit of history there already and the threat is still present. 
and it doesn't seem like the most reliable power unit at the moment but it got through spain and yeah i think we'll go on to the next one see how it goes i do like the fact that there is more jeopardy i think with that i feel like in the last few years the cars and also in the last like five six years cars have become super reliable i mean i remember the days when i first started watching f1 and if it was a 20 car field you'd expect like maybe four or five retirements every race I mean, if you go back many, many years, it's a ridiculous terms. You'd get in the late 90s and early 2000s, you'd, get, you'd be lucky to have half the cars finish the race because cars would just have reliability issues. Before the days when they introduced Park Ferme and Shock Horror, the cars, when they weren't twiddled with, uh, they were absolutely fine. Uh, but at the same time, I did miss a little bit, like 20 cars finishing every race, like pff, it's not as much jeopardy. So I do like the fact that there is more, as long as it's in a safe manner, uh, and there is more risk of reliability issues popping up. But they didn't pop up for Red Bull this time. And they'll be hoping that continues further on. Monaco's not one where it's usually... I mean, obviously it's a gruelling race for the drivers. Street race concentration has to be at the highest level. But reliability-wise, it's not one where you usually consider there to be a risk of too much going wrong with the power unit or with the electronics of the car. But... <coughs> I mean, knowing Red Bull this season, something <coughs> could pop up out of nowhere and uh, and cause them some some strife. Do you remember many episodes ago when I said Ferrari were quote unquote bulletproof after Saudi Arabia? <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> the pendulum has swung, hasn't it? I thought to myself, reliability issues. That's certainly something that Red Bull have to deal with, not Ferrari. They always finish their race, unless, of course, due to driver error at Carlos Sainz. Well. I thought, going into this Grand Prix and after Saturday, where Leclerc had a, a stonking qualifying so far, that he really romped home and comfortably beat uh, Verstappen there. And when he went into the second corner ahead of him, I thought, there we go, done and dusted. Was it 73% of the pole sitters go on to win the race? He's got it in the back. Ferrari are back. Yeah, come on. Battles on type thing. And then lap 27, you see that retirement. He's irate as well. And the pendulum is now swinging very much in Red Bull's favour now. That's three wins on the spin now for Verstappen. And we're now going to Monaco, which Leclerc famously hates. He's crashed there very recently. He's crashed there before. We go to Baku as well, where he's also crashed in qualifying. It's, it's now or never, really, I think, for Ferrari to go and up their game and to bring the battle back to um, to Red Bull. Because if they're not careful, you've got Carlos Sainz, which he had an OK race, but um, he could have done far better, I think. He was aided by Hamilton having to basically lift and coast to get that P4. And Leclerc not finishing. We need both Ferrari drivers, if you're a Ferrari fan or have any money on them, to up their game because... Two races where we see yet again, let's say, Verstappen winning or a 1-2 for Red Bull and the gap becomes quite big. Add into that, of course, a Mercedes car which is getting better and better by the race seemingly, particularly when it comes to street circuits, and it's looking a lot more difficult for Ferrari than it was after Saudi Arabia. So, yeah, they've got to get their skates on really and get their act together. I think they will. I can't imagine that reliability is going to be something that really swamps them as has happened to previous constructors many years ago or indeed Red Bull uh, at the start of the season but um, it's certainly making it a lot more competitive and a lot more tight than than previously was I mean we're looking at the constructors for example now and that's what that's a gap of nearly 30 points roughly speaking between Red Bull and Ferrari which yes of course if there's one Ferrari uh, winner let's say P1 and then both uh, Red Bull cars don't score points or don't finish, then that's essentially a zero gap. But, you know, seemingly Red Bull have solved their issues when it comes to reliability. He says they've got the fastest car as well, it would seem, or at least the driver who can handle the car best. Let's not forget that every time Verstappen's finished, he's finished in P1. Ferrari really need to go and turn around and give an answer, because if they're not careful, they could slip into a comfortable second place and that'd be that. Oh, but they are they are now in second place, Ferrari. Um, whether they like it or not, and that's a real shame because they had such momentum. I think at the very beginning of the season, and we did predict that Ferrari were going to have problems. But I, if you look at, I think how many problems Ferrari have had, they are certainly more reliable at the moment than the 
the Red Bull um, car seems to be. Mm. They, you know, they've had problems now, Red Bull, with their power unit. They've had fuel issues. They've had problems with the DRS now. And so it, it, that's kind of the, the main ones. I'm expecting the gearbox now to break. And, <laughs> well, basically, that's your hat trick. You know, there's there's not much else that can go wrong there. Um, I, you know, maybe maybe Perez or, or Max will, will get a, a Daniel Ricciardo thing happen to them in Monaco where they lose their electrical system. Although, as it, if it's Monaco, it's fine. Um, <laughs> so I, if I was Max and, and you know, Checo, then I'd be sitting there every race thinking, right, do I have to nurse this a little bit? Is this something, you know, is this car going to make it? So I think to some extent, Red Bull need to maximize the amount of points, which is why I'm, I was so frustrated that they held Perez back because if they held Perez back and kind of lost him that advantage that he gets from being on new tires, and let's say Max's DRS didn't um, sort of fix itself and they couldn't sort it out or something worse, you know, it was a, it was a, degrading problem for max and they'd retire the car then red bulls basically shot themselves on the foot and at this point red bull really need to be focusing on making sure that they are maximizing their points every weekend and mitigating the worst possible you know outcomes which is one car retiring and the other car being massively hindered and so for perez who is doing an absolutely stellar job you know and there is there is no other way to describe him than that for, for him to be kind of being thrown to the sidelines and every so often Max coming on the radio and being like, no, oh, Paris is great teammate, great teammate. You know, I think that's going to do him a bit of an injustice. So yeah, if I was Red Bull, then certainly I'd be worried about the, their current situation with their car, because it seems to me like they're going to have to really try over the, I think over the summer break, they're going to have to try and put their, you know, pull their finger out a little bit and up and, sort of those reliability issues because ferrari has only had one problem you know and that's that's really saying something i think um so it's is i think it's going to be a, a you know one of those lingering clouds over their entire entire um, season uh moving on now to a team that will probably yeah. soon be joining ferrari and red bull mercedes uh, George Russell qualifying in fourth, up to P3. Hamilton qualifying sixth, and then after a few issues, up to P5, which would have been P4 if it wasn't for the uh, issues he had towards the end. The engineers telling him there's a risk of a DNF, so kind of fourth place. But yes, anyway, fifth. And once again, we see George Russell get a podium that continues his 100% record of finishing in the top five out of six races. An incredible record and beating Lewis Hamilton as well for good measure. Toto Wolff was telling the media that they now understand the porpoising issues and understand the car more and now can essentially um, close the gap between uh, themselves and the top two cars. And some rather interesting data I saw online. According to Sky Sports Germany, it showed that Lewis Hamilton on average had 75% of the fastest laps and was just 0.1 seconds behind Max Verstappen on the average of all laps. So we've said this so many times, we've heard about upgrades coming at Spain, they're clearly here, they've improved the car. Are Mercedes back? Are they serious contenders now to kick on and essentially go on and win a race or at least trouble uh, Red Bull and Ferrari on merit? Because we saw without DRS, it's a fairly equal car between Mercedes and arguably the best car on the grid, Red Bull. But can they now match them pound for pound when everyone's DRS is working and we go racing? There was a lot of upgrades this um, this weekend, we should say that. So that's why we had such like big performance increases um, from a lot of the teams. But there was one that didn't bring one team that didn't bring upgrades was Haas, um, which was very very interesting given their qualifying performance. But I think what we said last week was that Toto had said that they were going to bring the upgrades that were going to solve their problems. And this weekend they brought an upgraded front wing end plate, they brought upgraded floor edges, they brought upgraded rear corners, and a new floor body. Um, so, you know, huge amounts of things they were they were adding to the cars to basically solve this porpoising problem. And from the surface, I think it has worked. I was kind of hoping at the end of last episode that I was right that Hamilton was going to do well. And um, 
you know, I think he did. And whether or not I, I agree with Toto at the end of the race um, where he said that he believed that Hamilton would have been able to win it, whether I believe that, no, I'm not totally sure. But saying that, you know, Hamilton loves Barcelona. So, yeah, I think, to be honest, I think they are sort of back. But the question I, I have is, are they back enough to to tackle the the two giants this this year, which are Red Bull and Ferrari, because that I don't know, and that's what I've, I'm trying to work out. Because to some extent, this was the worst possible race to measure their success in, in terms of being a top contender, because we had Max who was DRS limited, and we had Hamilton who was making his way through the pack, and then we had the the Mercedes at the end having those water cooling issues. Uh, which meant they had to lift and coast to such an extreme extent that um, Science was able to get back past Hamilton and Russell very nearly lost out on his third position. In fact, Bottas nearly, you know, caught up with Hamilton again. So I think we're going to have to wait, not to Monaco, because Monaco won't tell us anything. But we're going to have to wait sort of after that to find out really whether or not they're back. But it certainly looked like it from this race. Yeah, I th- I think back is well it depends what what is what is deep psychological philosophical question what is back, but at the same time, Mercedes have clearly improved, clearly clearly improved. They just the whole weekend, there was never a drop off. We've seen a few times this season, Miami a prime being a prime example, how they start strong and there's a drop off. There's like a drop off in performance. They don't quite reach the levels you feel they could have done. Now. Of course, they weren't on pole position. They didn't have that kind of pace pace advantage come to them. George Russell was still six tenths off. Lewis Hamilton still eight tenths off pole position. But at the same time, I think the big thing was the race pace. The race pace just seemed a lot more consistent. They were closer to the front. There was a startling statistic which I saw, which is that Lewis Hamilton, after lap one, with his collision with Kevin Magnussen, of course, uh, after lap one, he was 50 seconds behind the race leader. And at the final lap of the race, he finished 54 seconds behind the race leader. So with a potentially slightly damaged car, and admittedly the leader at the lap one was Charles Leclerc, and the leader on lap f- uh, 66 was Max Verstappen. But still, he has done well, I'd say, not to be lapsed there. He's done well to keep a pace advantage, which shows that he did not lose ground to the leader during the race and I think well first of all considering on lap one he said that he wants to retire the car I think that's quite a good uh, quite a good recovery considering that but at the same time it does show Mercedes has improved I mean for him to come from the back of the field to fifth or really to fourth realistically before he had those technical issues I think it was a stonking drive personally really really good drive for him to make up that ground so quickly um and George Russell, again, doing the best he could, doing really well with the car. I think the one thing which maybe doesn't persuade me Mercedes are fully there yet, when I say fully there, as in championship contenders, I think they will they can win a race, definitely. Race wins are up for grabs. I think the main thing will be, previously I was thinking, if there was, for example, if both Red Bulls and both Fries went off the road for some reason, or retired, would Mercedes pick up the pieces? The first few races I'd have said, oh, not necessarily. But at the moment, you'd feel like if there was a problem, they'd be, they are now more likely to be able to pick up the pieces and to swoop up and take advantage. Swoop up? Sweep up, sorry. Sweep up and take advantage. But the thing is, Russell, in battle against the Red Bulls, he was holding them off. He wasn't at a comfortable... He wasn't having a comfortable gap. It wasn't like, oh, I'm just holding them here at two, three seconds behind and I feel comfortable. He was straining... You could tell he was straining quite a bit, the car straining the car that is, to try and keep them behind. And if you bear in mind as well, a DRS-less Max Verstappen got past him and managed to pull ahead by about 30 seconds. So unless unless I missed something in there where they went for a pit stop for the fastest lap, unless I've missed something. But my point being, pit stop or not, to be fair, he's got past him without DRS functioning properly. And he's managed to pull out a sizable gap. So whilst they are recovering 
to say they are back, I think, would be an over-exaggeration. But at the same time, it's a long season and upgrades won't just come in Spain. They'll come at other races. You often see upgrades around about the mid-season European races. So I'm talking around about Silverstone, Austria, France in this instance. And I think never say never in terms of... Well, never say never, definitely in terms of race wins. I think they'll win races this season. I think the evidence now is clearer, having seen what occurred yesterday and on the weekend in Spain. But championship contention... I think is a stretch. Russell, 36 points behind Verstappen. I mean, stranger things have happened, but I don't see it personally. But can confirm for sure that they are on the road to recovery. Yeah, definitely. It's premature to go and say they're back, but they've definitely taken strides there to become more competitive. And on that note, George Russell has, in my view, been one of, if not the best drivers of the season. We know how Hamilton's been struggling with this car. We know how uncompetitive it was to start with. But to always have it within the top five and to finish there, to get two podiums really is remarkable. I think, though, it's fair to say that he or Mercedes won't be winning at either championships this year. I think if I were to make a comparison of how they'll be doing this season come the end, I can imagine them being that sort of tricky customer of last year, like Ferrari or McLaren, you know, getting themselves a a, a P1 in terms of qualifying by hook or by crook, and then unfortunately having to fall down owing to a lack of race pace or flip that on its head. And we saw, like with McLaren last year, when the cards fell in their favour, they were there to go and uh, win a race and get a 1-2 if we're looking at Monza, for example. So it's nice to see that Mercedes are making strides forwards. It shows really that while the new regulations are in place, teams are learning. The situation we've got now with the constructors is not set in stone. There is ability for latitude and I imagine Mercedes will be far more competitive next season. But to consider as well that they're third in the championship now. They've got, what's that, three podiums to their name? Um, so far this season when they've had a pretty average start after six races as we say so many times it's a really solid foundations to go and kick on in terms of this season or next season but yeah I can't see them winning any any championships but a race win or two is not without uh, not, not without doubt really so nice to see I think they're clearly now in third place and pulling or closing the gap, should I say, between themselves and the top two versus falling back into that really congested midfield. So I think it shows or quells any doubt, should I say, that Toto Wolf, Mercedes and Hamilton have quote-unquote lost it, as you hear many of the tabloids say, after one bad performance or one or one driver or someone not knowing the exact answer to a rather technical question. So positive to take. But, uh, yeah, George Russell is going to be one hell of a driver uh, in terms of winning races and a championship, maybe, once he's given the same tools as the four drivers above him, really. Well, the the question now is, if if Mercedes are rocking a car that can be very, very competitive, that is when someone like Hamilton really shines. And he has not been doing great in the season. So far, I mean, George Russell's in fourth place with 74 points, whereas Lewis Hamilton's in sixth place with 46 points. So is it is it the end now for the Hamilton, you know, dominance? And is Russell going to take that coveted like win over his teammate? Because Hamilton isn't used to losing to his teammate. You know, think about the last time that happened. And the friction that that was created within the Mercedes team in 2015 when Nico Rosberg beat Hamilton. You know, is this going to be a, a repeat of that history? Or do you think Hamilton's going to go sailing past Russell now that, you know, if, if Mercedes have that strong car? Or do you think Russell is, you know, taking up that, that slack that Hamilton was holding for so long and is now really the, the, the number one driver in uh, Team Mercedes. In terms of the dynamic in Mercedes, I feel like it's a better vibe again than what it used to be with Hamilton and Rosberg. Either that or they're all very good actors and they're putting on very brave faces. But I think it seems to me genuinely that after the the way that the Hamilton-Rosberg rivalry escalated, I mean, if you consider it one way, 
they literally went from best mates, best buds to couldn't stand each other. And when that happens, imagine your best, best mate that you have in life and you end up working together. And then after three, four years working together, you literally hate them. Um, that's pretty much what happened. So admittedly, the prize was very great. I mean, in an office job, the prize won't be as great as the Formula One World Championship. But imagine that kind of scenario. Um, but at the same time, I think I feel like the vibe in the Mercedes team at the moment just seems better. It seems like Hamilton almost, obviously he's very driven and wants success, but he maybe sees that Russell will be his successor one day. And he is an ambassador for Mercedes and the Mercedes brand, after all. So I think he, whilst he wants to win, of course, he wouldn't be in that position that he is today if it, that wasn't the case. I think he still appreciates the need to help the team out. And he sees the potential that Russell brings. But I wouldn't count that as his season being over and him not being able to overhaul Russell. I think that Russell's obviously settled in very well. Very, very well in terms of into the team and into the Mercedes system. A system, admittedly, that he was a part of, being a junior driver there for many years, being mentored by Toto Wolff to some extent. And it will, regardless, be interesting to see how it develops. But... I wouldn't count Hamilton out just yet, even though everyone loves to count. It's what, it's what happens with any great sportsman. They are the hunted, and any time there's any little lapse or any any downturn in performance, people latch onto it and go, oh, they've absolutely lost it. They're not as good as everyone says they are. Um, that's not that's not the case. That really isn't the case. Hamilton is a poor attempt at an uh, uneducated or uninformed sporting fan there. But at the same time, like this ain't over in terms of the battle between those two and it'll be interesting to see whether that escalates into a battle for higher placings in the drivers and constructors championships at the same time a word on russell i think that he's yeah he's doing a super job and uh david croft on commentary made a very good point on when they were battling him and verstappen about hopefully that is the first of many to come we talk about verstappen and leclerc going wheel to wheel I want to see Verstappen and Russell going wheel-to-wheel and Russell and Leclerc going wheel-to-wheel more and more as the season and the years go by. Yeah, definitely. And looking back to when Russell was hired and replaced Bottas, that was a gamble, wasn't it, in many ways? You were upsetting the dynamic there of the 1-2 hierarchy in favour of Hamilton. And Bottas, as we're seeing this season, is a very good driver, a man in form. And do you necessarily want to get rid of him too early to bring in a young, raw talent like Russell who you know is going to make mistakes? But we're seeing so far... Russell has made zero mistakes, really. The gamble has very much paid off. And when you're seeing how well he's doing, it's very hard for Hamilton and the Hamilton garage to say, well, hang on a second, stay in your lane, you've got to be driver two come next season when we've got a competitive car. Because Russell is currently on form the number one driver. He's there purely on merit. He's doing far better than Hamilton, it's fair to say. He's going up against Verstappen, as we say, and doing rather well. It's one of those where you can't really return to the former dynamic of Hamilton 1, other driver 2. And I'm... A bit perplexed when it comes to Hamilton's future. I'm undecided. I see his contract runs out in 2023. He's currently 37 years old. You look at his mannerisms in many different ways, some of the things he comes out with, and it seems that he's not lost his fight, but he now understands that it can no longer be the Hamilton show at Mercedes. That may all change, of course, next season when Mercedes improve their car, but I wouldn't be surprised if Hamilton leaves the sport in 2023 because he'll be what 20 sorry 38 years old then you've seen some drivers go on to go in their 40s but I think it's fair to say with uh, Raikkonen for example who was driving age 41 he was nowhere near what he was many years prior to that at Ferrari so we know Hamilton's got many interests outside of Formula One does he want to just be in there for the sake of it when he knows that there's someone else in the next garage to him with the same kit is doing better than him I'm not too sure because, in many ways, who has Hamilton got to prove? He's won seven world champion world championships, arguably eight if you're a Hamilton fan after last season. He's got nothing to prove. The record speaks for itself. He's a very talented driver. And maybe now it could be a chance for him season after to make way for somebody else. I wouldn't be surprised then again if he signs another contract and goes on into his sort of early 40s, but... If I were a betting man, I'd say we will see the end of Hamilton at the end of next season, but we'll see. 
don't know. I, I don't think you will. Toto Wolf keeps coming onto the radio, keeps saying to the press, you know, we, we think Hamilton is, you know, the fastest and it's just, I just find it amusing. Okay. I keep noticing that Russell keeps doing really well. And then Toto Wolf's like, yeah, Hamilton, oh, big problems. Or, oh, Hamilton was the fastest man on track. It's what he said at the end of the mm. Barcelona Grand Prix. And, and so it feels like Team Toto is still firmly stacked behind Lewis Hamilton. And for good reason as well. Because he is yeah. one of, if not the all-time great drivers. And, you know, the greatest driver currently on the grid, if you want to go by raw statistics. But he still needs the eighth world championship. That was so, should we say, unceremoniously taken away from him at the end of last season and and to, to lose out wrapped up in all that controversy i think will play on on his mind and certainly play on toto's mind because you know that's not how anyone wanted to see you know ha- um hamilton lose that that opportunity and also how no one wanted to see max get his i feel like whatever happens like if it was if it was another hamilton versus max um sort of thing this year i feel like it would bring some closure right because either max would then Mm. win without all the controversy or hamilton would get his eighth without all the controversy uh there so given that mercedes are making these gains and given that they've gone down a completely different aerodynamic path to all the other teams and they've got you know they've got their own strategy that's so different Mm. and has so much potential then I think he's going to stay because there was a good reason why Hamilton went over to Mercedes in 2014 and had a, had a go in a, in a team that everyone thought was a midfield team. And at the moment, everyone thinks that car is kind of like a a top to, you know, top midfield team. You you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of a a sixth, fifth place. And I, I can see history repeating itself. You know, it's, it's not like Mercedes to to go down a rabbit hole that will not lead to to good performance. And now they're ironing those kinks out. We're starting to see what the car can do. We're starting to see that Russell was able to re-overtake Max Verstappen after you know after the DRS zone and sort of out of turn one in the Barcelona Grand Prix to retake that the the position. We're starting to see that the team is is expecting third and fourth positions rather than fifth and sixth positions. So, with all that in mind, I think what's going to be more interesting is whether or not the dynamic remains sweet between Russell and Hamilton. Because let's not, you know, beat around the bush here. If Hamilton has the opportunity to get his eighth world championship, he's going to go after Russell and try to dominate him in in the way that he did to Bottas. And, you know, he, he... tried to do to Nico Rosberg and it was only because I think Nico was also so committed to the cause that Hamilton was actually ended up losing to to him and you know Rosberg ended up leaving the sport as a result of it you know he said he never wanted to go through that again but their relationship mm. still tarnished to this day, as as every time Nico Rosberg comes onto the on the radio, um, he likes to point out how Hamilton's not doing very well or something, even if it's <laughs> you know, completely beside the bye. So, yeah, we've got we've got an interesting, you know, later half of the season with everyone bringing new upgrades. Mercedes is one to watch. Mark my words. Right. Hopefully, I can predict that slightly better than I can the Barcelona uh, Grand Prix. <laughs> <laughs> And it was nil point for Aston Martin in Spain, P11 for Vettel, P15 for Stroll. But it wasn't the finishing grid in terms of results for them that got people talking. It was more the look of their car, specifically the external bodywork, which looked rather similar to Red Bulls, it could be said. And now Mike Crack, the team principal of Aston Martin, said, well, it's just natural progression and development. But Helmut Marko of Red Bull said, no, no. We have clear evidence that you have downloaded data from us and therefore are copying us. Now, innocent until proven guilty, for sure. But Aston Martin, or formerly Racing Point before them, do have history of, let's say, taking inspiration from other cars higher up the grid. Namely, the Mercedes brake ducts, 
of 2020. So what do we make then of the new exterior and bodywork of Aston Martin? It's not translating so far into points or indeed to them doing rather well, but are they up to their old tricks again or is it just natural progression as their team principal would uh, say to us all? Their phrasing of natural progression is perhaps the most unashamedly diplomatic but also trying to obscure the truth <coughs> I think I've seen for a while. I just can't. I can't see how we'd be natural progression when a team whose car was already so far down the grid and was struggling so much. How can it's clearly it's so similar to the Red Bull concept that it seems to be copying to me, and it just. I think to be honest, it's a bit of a. I think it shows a team which is just a bit directionless. I think losing Otmar Safnauer. Having conflict and what he said since he's come out, uh, come out of that team environment, him saying things like "there's just t- too many," I don't know, if it, basically not the exact phrasing, but basically saying about there's too many roosters in the hen house, that kind of thing. With mm-hmm. Lawrence Stroll seemingly thinking he can do it all himself, Martin Whitmarsh coming in and basically having Otmar Safnauer's role as well, hence Safnauer throwing in uh, his resignation and saying that he wanted enough of Aston Martin. The team coming out, Javier Carr, which is slow, really slow. Ninth in the Constructors' Championship really says it all. You've got a four-time world champion in that team who is an F1 legend, but he's done. I'm telling you, he's done with the sport. He's, mm. His appearances on Question Time, his musings about the state of F1's degradation or con- contributions to degradation of our environment of of the of the world's atmosphere he's just he's just not up for it their other driver is the son of the team owner who uh, who is bang average realistically the, the the well the owner could be called bang average as well but the driver <laughs> certainly is and i just got the the one thing about if i'm going a bit off topic but if we go if we focus back on the car design the one thing which makes sense is the fact that Aston Martin has been greatly expanding their technicals, the technical side of their team with this new £250 million factory in the works and the fact that they've also brought over lots of staff from Red Bull. For example, Dan Fellows, former aerodynamic director at Red Bull. So clearly there could be a link there, as in man from Red Bull, man who used to work for Red Bull, knows some stuff, has some clues, and tries to implement it on his new team that would make sense but i don't know it's just it's suspicious it's suspicious and as well if you look at the team history of what happened in 2020 they got off lightly you could say with what was it a 15 point deduction i think it was when they copied the mercedes brake ducts they got got away with it a bit there you know you could argue they just they 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 like they're that that child in class who is has got some brains, quite smart, but he's always going to ask to copy your homework on the day when it's due, and it's just I I I just see a team which is directionless, and this adds to it really. They just don't for for once for better phrase, they don't seem like they know what they're doing. Um, and the fact and the fact that yeah, it's just not not things aren't going right for for Aston Martin right now, and this is just and bad press shouldn't be everything. Don't get me wrong, but this will be bad press. This will be bad, a bad image for them. The fact that they've copied another team's design, mm. and they are still slow as anything. They are still going out both cars in Q1. You hear here's Sebastian Vettel's exasperation on the radio. He was told by his engineer, who never sounds too delighted with what's going on in general. His engineer said, "Mate, P16," and Sebastian Vettel's response was, "Oh, you're kidding me." As if to think, well, how are these upgrades not worked, mate? How have they not actually produced something or made a difference to our overall performance? And, I mean, what one, Aston Martin seem directionless and they're not improving. Two, it'd be interesting to see what in the wash comes out from this. It's not a saga yet because it hasn't gone on for a protracted period, but what will come of the situation that's happened right now? And three... I look forward to, as I do after every race, what Helmut Marker has to say in the media. Look for his comments around about Tuesday or Wednesday. He'll come out and say something 
with a, with a slight spring with a slight sprinkling of over exaggeration based on some F1 news in the last few days. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there. But not a good look or a good time to be an Aston Martin fan or aerodynamicist or team principal or or anything really to do with them at the moment. Directionless. Yes, that's a very good way to describe them. They have been cleared, let's be clear, um, by the FIA of copying. And Lance Stroll has said that this car design has come out of the fact that the designers designed two cars over the winter, which is an incredible feat. The the commentators seem to be sceptic, and I am too. However, we can't deny that the FIA have done their homework. They've pulled the levers and taken the the technical drawings and the you know early ideas stages and they would have checked them. And look, all we can say is they look very similar from the outside. We don't actually know how the interior of the cars look. So it might just be that we all go, look, they look very, very similar. And behind the scenes, Aston Martin has said, well, we've got a completely different um, air channeling system or, you know, this is our system. And let's not also forget that at the very, very beginning of the season, Aston Martin turned up with these like fins on the the bottom of their floor and uh, Red Bull, McLaren, Mercedes, Ferrari, they all took them and put them on their car. So in Formula One, it's not, you know, it's not unusual to nick ideas, to, to copy ideas. And I think getting overly angry about it at this point is is a bit silly. Now, the problem is, is, is of course, it's Aston Martin, which, which has the links to Racing Point, which did copy the Mercedes brake ducts because Mercedes basically let them. And as a result, they infringed on that sort of intellectual property sharing um rule but this this seems to be a little bit more surface level and i'm okay with that because hey everyone nicks everyone else's ideas anyway so it it's certainly i think reassuring to us fans that this idea of of nicking the 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 concept from you know that from looking at pictures seems not to have resulted in massively good performance it's not like the racing point which you know, back when it was nicknamed the pink Mercedes, was not only a carbon copy of the Mercedes, but it was also really quick because it was a carbon copy of the Mercedes. So I think as a result of the new regulations, a lot of the downforce and a lot of the the performance from the cars comes from places that are hidden, comes from the, the ground effect from the floor, which is very, very hidden. It comes from the way the air interacts in the side pods and within them as well, which is a bit more hidden. So I don't think you can just copy like perhaps we're, we're used to. But it's certainly an interesting question about whether or not Aston Martin is holding itself back because of the, the drivers within the team. And it's a conversation that we were having, I think, uh, privately before the race, discussing whether or not Lance should be in, in the team. And at the moment, I think you're right, Angus. I think Lance is, is holding the team back as well because... Everyone in, in Formula 1 at the moment has has a talent. They, they've picked a talent, okay? You've got Russell in Mercedes. You've got Leclerc and Sainz in Ferrari. You've got Lando Norris in McLaren. You've got, you know, Yuki Tsunoda, Pierre Gasly in that Alpha Tauri. You've got Max Verstappen in Red Bull. Um, it, even Alfa, Alfa Romeo have got Zhou Guan Yu, which is supposed to be the, you know, up-and-coming talent. Everyone is fostering a talent. You know, Williams had Russell and now they're you know trying to find a new sort of talent, if you like, in Alex Albon. But if I said to you, which is the talent in Aston Martin? Who's the one they're clinging on to and going to promote? Oh, it's Lance Stroll. Yeah, it, it's not the same. He, he doesn't have that raw ability that we're expecting. He can't even use mirrors half the time, which is frankly frustrating. You know, maybe they should just remove them for aerodynamics sake. So I think part of the part of the problems for Aston Martin is firstly they've got a car that has, as you say, Angus, very few direct, you know, very few directions at the moment. They're having to chop and change it, heavily upgrade it, which is going to cost them a fortune. 
And secondly, they don't, I think, have a driver that can extract everything out of the car. I'm pretty sure if you put Max Verstappen in that Aston Martin, he'd make it go quicker. And Sebastian mm. Vettel should be mentoring that new talent. And I don't think Lance is the kind of driver that takes kindly, shall we say, to being told what to do. So, yeah, nepotism just doesn't, I think, work very well in Formula One. Who would have thought it, eh? But yeah, it's looking pretty desperate, isn't it, for Aston Martin? I think to start with, when we saw Omar Safna and the sponsor BWT leave, I think we're all saying it does, it's not great, it's not the right noises you want to go and see coming out of Aston Martin just before a season begins, particularly with both that sponsor and the team principal going over to what were their rivals in Alpine. And they're looking a bit desperate now, aren't they? Of course, if you're the worst, which they pretty much are, only three points between them and Williams, you're going to take inspiration from the best. So I don't think there's a legality issue in terms of them stealing Red Bull's ideas. It's very much just looking at the top of the table going, damn, they're doing pretty well. What are they doing, though, that we could perhaps, you know, do ourselves back at home? Maybe that could help us reach the lofty heights of eighth place in the drivers championship which is let's be fair not really where Aston Martin thought they're going to be this season at all it's been quite a desperate season but yeah Stroll quite obviously is not the driver for the future we saw him improve very slightly um, last season and season prior owing to him having good tech and good equipment but when you consider that Perez had to go so Stroll could go in Ocon had to go so Stroll could go in you know Vettel's there as well as a mental role, but that's not really working out. You've got to go and say to yourself, is it worth it having Lance Stroll in the car versus those other drivers? Not even remotely, no. And I think really they're cutting a very desperate short-termist view at the moment, Aston Martin, because the gamble, which I completely understand where they're coming from and why they've done it, Sebastian Vettel going there, is not paying off. We saw Kimi Raikkonen go to Alfa Romeo and that go rather well. You're seeing similarly Bottas do a similar job there as well. Alonso is doing an excellent job, I think, at Alpine, aside from the reliability issues there. So the system can work. The mentor and junior system is exactly what should be happening, I think, for the midfield and lower teams. But it's just not paying off, is it? And when you consider there's disruption in the camp still, Lawrence Stroll wanting to seemingly do everything and be a bit of a controller, you can see why... Otmar left. I think that was one of the main reasons he cited there. So, a pretty desperate season for Aston Martin. I don't see things going any better for them. And if Vettel leaves at the end of the season, which I think is quite probable when his contract expires, who do they bring in who's any better? Because you still need to go and bring that driver in who's going to have that ability to lead the team, to grind points out, to lend an experience head and hands really to the team and there's not really too many of those drivers around they've all been hoovered up by other teams maybe someone like Ricardo could potentially go down but would he want to do that he wouldn't do it at the end of the season owing to his contract so the market currently for sort of an elder statesman is very much running dry and of course uh, Oscar Piastri is very much on the market but still a reserve driver for Alpine. Alonso's contract situation in terms of whether he'll renew it is still not finalised so would Alpine say oh go on then Piastri go and enjoy yourself at what could be our rivals next year I don't think they'd do that so as we see as we say so many times building a team around Lance Stroll and what he wants to do in the Stroll dynasty is not paying off and I don't wish ill upon any team but I'm glad to see in many ways that when you prioritise someone because of their name versus what they can do on the track and merits you get what you deserve and with that that concludes episode 13 of F1 in Review thank you very much for listening be that via your preferred podcast provider or via River Radio via the live feature or the listen back one you can of course follow myself Tristan and the F1 in Review account on Twitter if you're looking for F1 in Review it's just that all one word no hyphens 
all one word there. And round seven, as I say, is Monaco next in the calendar. Free practice will be on the Friday, not the Thursday. And the timings in terms of qualifying and the race are pretty much as they were in Spain. 3 p.m. on the Saturday for qualifying, which will pretty much decide the race. And then the actual race, so to speak, will be at 2 p.m. on the Sunday. So next week when we return, we'll be unpacking that weekend at Monaco and discussing whatever comes up between now and then in terms of when we speak next. So until next time, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time.